Hello, I'm John Chambers, and welcome to another episode of Chambers Talks, my LinkedIn podcast. These discussions are about technology disruptions and how the disruptions that occur in technology change businesses and the future of businesses in terms of their success or their failures. Today, I'm honored to talk with a young man that I've known for many years, Eric Yuan. He's the founder and CEO of Zoom, done an amazing job in so many ways. And candidly, Eric, you and I can take this on the road. We've done this before at March Capital and other sessions. So I want to thank you for joining us today. John, it's a great privilege to be on your podcast. Thank you so much, John. It is my honor overall. I want to uh, thank everybody for this, but I want to brag about you a little bit in terms of your background. Uh, you founded Zoom in 2011, but before that, uh, you were part of Cisco. Uh, you were part of WebEx, which is one of the coolest acquisitions we've done at Cisco in many ways. We acquired in 2007. And as one of the founding engineers at uh, WebEx, uh, you helped to grow the company from 1997 to 2011 from literally 10 engineers uh, to 800 plus worldwide and from zero to $800 million, just amazing. Uh, at uh, Zoom, you've been named in 2018, the number one CEO of the large US companies by Glassdoor and Entrepreneur of the Year in Northern California. Uh, you've accomplished so much in so many uh, young years, if you will. My definition of young, Eric, changes a little bit as you will as, as we age over time, but you have 11 patents, I think, and 20 patents pending, uh, just have been very, very successful. And if it's all right, we'll go back and forth more within what's in mind for the listeners and how do they learn from it. And you feel free to change any of my questions you want or head to a different direction if that's okay. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Well, Eric, when you think about it, you've accomplished so much. Uh, uh, you were born in China and you came to America. Uh, you are what the American dream is about for so many of us. And we're all immigrants here. Uh, in terms of our country, uh, but you you took a concept, you created jobs, you changed the country and the world in a very positive way. Tell us about this journey and allow the listeners to understand a little bit more about your background and your focus, if you will, please. Yeah, thank you, John. As you mentioned, I was born in China and I moved to Silicon Valley in 1997 joined, and joined WebEx as one of the first several fund engineers. And the reason why I keep America was that, you know, I really wanted to embrace the first wave of internet revolution and also to pursue my American dream because the Silicon Valley is a worldwide innovation center. So when I was a kid, I, I fell in love to all those great entrepreneurial stories uh, that happened in Silicon Valley. So after I moved here in 1997, I think uh, looking back, we see, wow, this is a great experience. However, also, can tell you the journey to come to Silicon Valley was not that smooth. You know, back in 1995, 1996, I tried to come to America and for my first visa application, I got declined. The good news, I did not give up. And I kept trying, kept trying until the next attempt, I was successful. I think a key lesson I learned was that do not give up. And quite often, if you keep working hard on something after you have a dream, and just hard work probably will help you to achieve you know, some sort of success. You know, quite often, you know, success might, might be just coming from a hard work. So I did not give up. Looking back, also think 
that's more like uh, to test, to practice my perseverance. And so looking back, I'm, I was so grateful I can come to Silicon Valley. Well, you know, it's exciting. I'm obviously like you as a believer that uh, video is the next voice. And uh, uh, when we started Telepresence back all the way in 2007 at Cisco, uh, it, it caught the world by surprise on what a difference it made in business productivity. But you took it to a whole different level. Uh, if I can be so bold, what did you learn at Cisco? And what did you do so much better than we did to take it to the next level? And please don't be humble. You're humble by your nature. But it's also a lesson to learn from all of us uh, about how do you get market transitions right? And how do you differentiate your company when you move into an established market? Yeah, John, I, one thing I want, want to say, if I did not work for Cisco, I can tell you there's no zoo. You know, the reason why I learned so many things and so many great leaders, you know, and at Cisco in particular, I learned so many things from you, right? One thing I learned, you always talk about market transition. You got to capitalize on that, right? So I also remember, you know, when the day when we joined the Cisco back to 2007, the first time I tried the Cisco telepresence, you know, product. At that time, I can tell you my feedback was, wow. This product is so awesome. Literally, the quality, the ease of use. At that time, I thought about, wow, if in the future, I do not know when, in the future, if anyone can enjoy that experience, that would be great. And until the 2010, 2011 time frame, because as, at that time, you know, smartphone or the video camera available for any PCs, I realized market transition, it comes and how to support those low-end PCs or smartphones is very important because you look at all other solutions all there. Even if that market was crowded, however, none of those solutions were built to serve for the mainstream in the video conferencing. So how to support the ease of use, how to make sure the, the your video quality or the quality is great, even if you, know, you are probably a very unreliable network. So how to build a video first product that's very important. That's why I dared you know, to, to build something from the ground up. Well, you not only dared, you were very successful. What made Zoom so successful and able to capture a market? Because often when you challenge and unseat an incumbent, it is the creativity you bring, the ease of use. If there are two or three points for the, the listener uh, to learn in terms of what Zoom did so well versus what many of the established players and other challengers did not do as well. What were the, the key takeaways that we can learn from? I think there, there are several you know, key takeaways uh, you know, since I started Zoom. And first of all, and you got to relentlessly focus on the customer. And I realized, you know, because when we started very small, how to compete against the other, you know, the, the players and the hard work is really important. I, I always think about if our competitors, they work 10 hours a day, we have to work 11 hours. If our competitor CEO, they work at 11 hours, I have to work at 12 hours. So the hard work, you know, spend more time to talk with the customers, try to be the first vendor to truly understand the customer pain point. And then you come back to be the first vendor to come up with a solution. I think that's what, what is what's the innovation is about, right? That's number one. So number two is always you know, think about you know, the, the, the future innovation. Don't always think about, hey, today I have a product, but you might, next year, you know, others, they can 
hobby, what do you have, right? Always think beyond what do you have today. You know, keep innovating, keep innovating. That's the, the second thing is very important, but otherwise, very soon you're gonna lag it behind. The third thing really about the, the culture. And you know, make sure you hire those great talents and who can fit very well to accompany culture and value. And together we can deliver happiness to customers. When you think about it, to lead, you have to be comfortable not only leading and having differentiation, but you've got to periodically disrupt yourself. How do you do that? How do you take a company that's been so successful and keep that healthy paranoia that Andy Grove kind of coined the frame on decades ago? How do you have the courage to continuously change, try new things, and teach that to your whole company? You're so right, huh? Actually, even on day one, you know, and uh, I told our employees, we've got to be very paranoid. Andy Guru's book, is, that's one of my favorite books. So on the one hand, you know, we are very optimistic. On the other hand, we've got to be very paranoid, meaning, you know, look at all the features, look at all the services we are building. We should assume very soon our competitors, right? They, they, they will have that. Or very soon our customers they may not like that. We need to have a sense of urgency. So one thing is at Zoom, we always talk about speed of innovation. That's very important. You know, sometimes when we got the feedback from our customers and our engineers, you know, they told us, hey, probably we can have this feature next quarter in three months. I always challenge them, why not the next week? Why not next month rather than you know, next two months, right? To have a sense of urgency. For, for, for the product is, is very important. The second thing is make sure you know, focus on the details. It's very, very important. Sometimes it, you, know, you try to cannibalize your own product. It's, it's, it's a bold you know, the decision, right? No one wants to cannibalize your own service. However, sometimes if you focus on the details, you realize your product, your innovation, you might already lag behind, right? And then at that time, you should really make a quick decision. Let's build something new, or maybe let's introduce the new service. That's why every time you got to look at it from any user perspective, from product perspective, perspective, what you can do differently. You know, otherwise, you know, very soon next week, you know, somebody else can come up with something better than yours. You are going to lag behind. I agree. You know, one of the fun things, and you and I have discussed it several times, is innovation can be internal innovation, which prior to the 1990s, Silicon Valley's old view was internal innovation period. And we had the fortune at, at Cisco beginning in the early 90s to rewrite the textbook that innovation was about doing it yourself, but also having the courage to acquire and the courage to partner. Uh, can you share a little bit your philosophy in this area in innovation and how do you approach it at Zoom? Yeah, so I remember why was that, you know, Cisco and you taught us, you know, about, you know, how to, and focus on customer, how to compete against the other competitors. You really did not talk about competitor that much. Really focus on you know Cisco. You know focus on you know our own journey. I look at it also. You know by doing that, I look at it back then. Look at Cisco's competitors. You know from uh, 1995 all you know sorry uh, year 2000 all the way 2010. Right, so many competitors. Their their name disappeared. Right, there's no competitor anymore. The reason why is when you try to focus on competitors, start with focusing on yourself, right? So that's why, you know, on the one hand, we look at the, you know, our competitor's product. On the other hand, we spend so much time on ourselves. So make sure we stay humble and really you know, understand the customer's pain point and make sure we do not become arrogant. And also at the same time, and when we look at the market transition, 
you know, this is very, very important, right? Make sure when market transition comes, you know, you got to embrace that, right? Even, even if sometimes you do not understand, you still need to embrace that. It is very important. Otherwise, you're going to miss a big opportunity. Market transition will not wait for your innovation, right? That's another thing, you know, where we look at that. The last but not least is also, you know, really about the, the strategy. Really adjust your strategy every day and every month. Think about, hey, this strategy works. Next quarter, next month, next year may not work anymore. How to adjust your strategy every time? Look at your competitors, look at the market, look at what you have, what you can adjust quickly. That's also very important. You know, it's interesting when you, you do things yourself, you acquire your partner. One of the things about acquisitions is once you announce them, you can't say anything about them until it's done. So I'm not going to ask you to, to comment about your most recent acquisition uh, on it, but just more, how do you approach acquisitions and how do you think about it and what role will they have in Zoom's future? Yeah, so at Zoom, you know, we, we think of video is a new voice. Video communication is going to change everything. And there's so many opportunities all there, but we know for sure we cannot build everything. We have limited resources. We also need to focus on our core. However, every time we talk with the customers, you know, sometimes the customer told us, you need to have this, and they have this pinpoint. And when, when we come back, realize we do not have the solution. What can we do? We either build it by ourselves, or we partner, or we acquire somebody else. You know, sometimes if you have a time, for sure, we'd like to build organically, right, to grow our business. But sometimes, you know, again, there's a market transition. You really cannot wait for two years right, to embrace that. So if you have no choice, but also if you find the best solution and plus that team can fit very well to your company culture, I think that's a natural move right, to combine the, the two teams together, right, to join force, you know, for the, for the new uh, opportunity. You know, when you think about the future, so many of the creative ideas come out of startups. And you're you're the example of that multiple times from WebEx and now with Zoom. Uh, partnering with small startups is hard. And yet, if that's where the innovation, a lot of the talent goes, how do you level set and think about Zoom's ability to partner with small startups and, and companies who are just growing? Do you see that being a part of your future? And maybe share with the audience whether you're on the large end now at Zoom or when you were partnering with other companies, how do you think about that in terms of innovation? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think for the first 10 years, and we sort of achieved our goal to become a Kayla video conferencing app company. Next 10 years is really about a platform. So meaning in not only do we build something, not only do we have one service, how to leverage our ecosystem, how to make sure third party developers or partners they can build all kinds of innovative solutions upon our platform. That's very important. And this reason why we announced the Zoom apps ecosystem at Zoomtopia last year. And yeah. actually this month, we are going to launch, I think very soon launch our, you know, the Zoom apps. And meaning any other third party, they can build like, you know, you know third party, I think, the, let's say consumer games upon our platform or integrated like a Jobbox or Asana, ServiceNow, all those uh, applications upon our uh, platform, meaning you and I will see each other. Literally just one click, we can play games together. You know, you can approve my expensive report, right? That's a platform play. It's very important with that. So many startup companies or smart, smart partners, they can join our ecosystem. Together, we can innovate much faster. 
I completely agree. Uh, when you think about it, there's a lot right now coming out of the terrible challenges of COVID and uh, all of us working from home. And a lot of speculation, will we go back to the way it was before, 90% at physical, 10% virtual, or will it go all virtual, or is it going to be 50-50? How do you approach it? And from my perspective, I think uh, many of the technology companies that did such a great job of remote work in the new environment will only get stronger. But how do, you, how do you think about it? If you had to take your best educated guess, how do you think this plays out in the market? And specifically, what are you doing with your Zoom team? Yeah, first of all, I would say the future of work is really about a hybrid. So, so meaning you really cannot force all your employees to go back to office five days a week. And also today, if we, you know, if we all work from home, also that's not sustainable because the mental health, depression, Anxiety also, you know, are, are going to kill our productivity. Having said that, I think when it comes to hybrid work, different companies might have a different definition. You know, sometimes maybe three days in the office or three days at home. And also, and even for three days in the office, do you want to do your employer to make a decision or you want to make sure, you know, your, your employees let them make a decision, right? How to support that? I think, uh, you know, uh, it's very tricky. And at Zoom, for now, actually, we are more like, uh, you know, watch, listen, and then make a decision later on, right? So it's kind of, we still do not know what's the definition of hybrid work at Zoom. But uh, we are listening, you know, to our employees' feedback and talking with other customers and partners. Ultimately, I think that's a hybrid. So also our workplace, workplace also will be different. You know, not like before, everyone, you have to have a desk. Very likely, I think the future of a workplace will become a, a coaching or mentoring place, or maybe the for culture place, right? We all get together for some activities. You know, very often we both share the same uh, view of video's role for the future, which is the dominant way of delivering technology and ultimate uh, communications. Uh, we at Cisco felt voice would be free, and that turned out to be very accurate. But voice continues to have a life of itself. And it may end up being one of the key ways you interface the internet of things uh, or even security identification, et cetera. Uh, do you think these voice applications are going to go away or do you think it'll be a blended version? What happens to the podcasts, the clubhouses of the world, the concepts like that? Uh, how, do, how do you approach that yourself? Yeah, I would say the voice applications uh, like Clubhouse, you know, we will stay. And the word will not be every communication, it will be the video communication. Because, you know, like last year, last summer, I joined my first Clubhouse experience. I really enjoyed that. And it's very easy just with my mobile, with my cell phone, one click, I can talk with a lot of others, right? And it's very easy. You know, plus no prayer, you know, turn on the video. However, you know, you look at it, uh, the most of the, you know, the uh, cases, right? I think video is, is going to play a big role, right? It's more like uh, to mimic in-person experience, right? That's the future. But some other cases, like your customer, you know, they call your, 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 your support team, for sure the customer may not turn on the video. Having said that, I think a video or voice central application will stay. I will coexist with video applications, you know, for a long time. You know, one of the things I love to, to talk about, and it's a teaching moment for you, uh, for the audience, is the role of the CEO or the role of leaders in general is vision strategy for the company, develop, recruit the leadership team, and periodically change them to accomplish that vision strategy, 
culture and communication of all the above. Talk to me about culture. You said earlier when you acquire a company, you focus on culture and the similarities of it. How important is culture to a company's success? And what are some of maybe the takeaways the listeners could have both on what's worked and what's not worked uh, from a cultural perspective? Yeah, John, I, I learned a lot when I was at Cisco, right? Every time I remember, you know, in the quarterly, you know, VP and above, you know, the course, right? You know, you always shared in the first slide and the Cisco's vision, strategy, execution, and culture. And I remember the first day when I started Zoom, I really did two things. One thing to, to order a, a used furniture. And also, and also the second thing I wrote down, the Zoom's vision, strategy, execution plan, and plus our company culture. Among those four things, I would say the culture is the most important thing. The reason why is that, you know, sometimes when, I, when you start a company, you might pay work, you know, and you can you know, change your vision. You also can adjust your strategy and also execution plan. However, if you do not have a culture, meaning very likely already hired several hundred employees, at that time, realize, you realize you do not have a good culture. What can you do, right? Is this a, you, know, you are going to hit the wall very soon. You know, if you have a cultural problem, it's really hard to fix. And ideally, on day one, write down the company culture, lead by example, talk about that, focus on that. At Zoom, our company culture also is very easy to remember. Just the two words and deliver happiness. Meaning for me as the CEO of the company, my number one priority is to make sure our employee happy. And together, we deliver happiness to our customers. So that's our company culture. Very often, I think it says a lot about a person. You're you're very humble. But if you would, if there's one, your biggest success in business, and then the biggest do-over, one that you had mistakes. For me, the do-over was easy. I missed 2001. Uh, we'd grow in at 65% or more a year for a decade. Uh, we were so accurate in the forecast. We went plus or minus 1% for a quarter was our range. And we always slightly hit and slightly over exceeded that. Uh, but I got too used to the numbers telling me exactly what the future quarter would be. And when something changed in the market that was not reflected in my numbers, candy, we got surprised. And it was brutal with the 2001 bubble uh, occurring. So that was my biggest mistake. You know, and the implications for my shareholders and employees was extremely, extremely painful. Uh, what was your biggest success? And what was the biggest, perhaps, if you had a do-over, uh, what would be your biggest do-over? Yeah, I, I happily lived in Silicon Valley since uh, 1997. I'm so grateful. I think uh, back to 2019, when, when Zoom became a Nasdaq public company, I was, uh, I flew to New York and, uh, you know, the opening, I think, a ceremony at that time for, for, for Zoom public, uh, you know, ceremony. And I, I was standing next to the, you know, one of my favorite leaders, Nasdaq CEO, Adina. And, uh, you know, the day, right, to, to, you know, to be a public company, I would say that's probably the one of the most exciting moments in my career. And looking back every time I think about that moment, I was so grateful. I'm still so excited even today. So in terms of, uh, you know, if I start over, and I would say so many things, I think I made you know, tons of mistakes. I think probably two is very important. One is when I was young, I really do not understand the purpose of life. I wasted so much time. I played a poker the whole night. And of course, I just enjoy that. And by looking back, I realized that happiness is not sustainable. 
because I do not understand the purpose of life. That's one. Two, I think, uh, you know, since I lived in Silicon Valley in 1997, for the first several years, you know, every time I think about my progress, I feel like ah, it's very slow until I, I have several mentors, you know, back to Cisco days, right? You know, Pankaj Patel, you know, Jim Sheriff, they are all my great mentors. I right? thank you so much, John, for you. And because he encouraged Cisco leaders to find the young talents, you know, to mentor them, right? To coach them. I think if I know that, actually, if I have a mentors early on, I think probably I can make more progress. And that's another thing. And uh, if I can start over, I will have uh, several mentors early on. I hear you on that. It's so much easier to learn from others who've seen the movie multiple times and who've missed on some of it as well. So for those of you, when you have a coach, a mentor, or a uh, strategic partner, don't hesitate to ask them not only successes, but say, tell me about the mistakes. And if you had it, what could I learn so I don't do the same things? What technology areas are you watching? Uh, you, you think, you know, and, and we are in complete agreement even on the words that we use, you catch market transitions enabled by new technologies. What are the ones you find most exciting for this next decade? I think uh, for our space, for video communication, I think AI and AR together, I think will, will shape the future of uh, video communication. You know, take AI, for example. You know, today, you know, you know, quite often you have a town hall meeting, you know, the, the employees come from all over the world, right? And sometimes we have a feature where we, we, we needed to invite a live translator. What if we leverage AI to support a real-time language translation? That is a very important feature to leverage AI. And also AR also very important. Now, John, I did not see you for a while. I really want to give you a hug. You know, thank you so much for your great help, advice to me. But unfortunately, I cannot do that. And because, you know, you know, today the Zoom does not have that feature, but in the future, the AR can certainly, you know, help us to deliver that feature over Zoom platform. So AI and AR are two technologies I'm very excited about. Well, you know, that's really a great setup for um, watching the time. I could go for another air and I'm taking notes as we go, Eric. It's been so much fun. But I always like to ask a, a, uh, a star uh, and a star that has so much runway in front of you in terms of what you're going to accomplish. What does the next decade look like for Zoom? Uh, what do you want to be as you take Zoom to the next level? And if you're writing the press release 10 years from now, how would you want to see Zoom described uh, over this decade? Uh, hopefully, 10 years from now, I think uh, you know users are going to still enjoy using Zoom. That's for sure. That's very important. But in terms of vision and technology, I let's say imagine a world where in the future, any two persons in the world, no matter where they are, no matter what kind of device they are using, just one click, they can talk to each other with their own native language. And also, also they feel like they're sitting together in the same Starbucks coffee, right? If you shake hands over Zoom, I can feel your hand shaking, or you can you know, get a cup of coffee, I can enjoy the coffee remotely, I think digitalize the smell. That's the world where we're going to live in the future. And with that, I think the world will be much more flat. The world will become a much better place. You know, I completely agree with that. Uh, Eric, I can't thank you enough for the time today. Uh, it's an honor uh, being your friend and occasionally your coach. And I learn as much from you as I think I've given you over the years. Uh, it means the world. So thank you so much for your time. John, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you again. I truly appreciate it. 
I also want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. Uh, and I want to remind you, we'll be putting these out at least once a month in terms of the next episode of Chambers Talks. We'll all see you soon. And please take time to fill out the evaluations, what you liked about the podcast sessions, what we can do better. Uh, today was a lot of fun, Eric. Thank you once again. Thank you again, John. Thank you.